Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. We're continuing our series today through the book of Hebrews. We're in part five of this series, which brings us up to the end of chapter three, which we'll be covering today. We've entitled this series, Jesus is Greater. He's greater than all. We find this theme in our first chapter, verse four, where it reads, this shows that the son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. He's got a greater name. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. And this whole book of Hebrews is speaking to those who came from a Jewish background, but were coming to faith in Jesus, explaining to them why he's the greatest. And today we're going to talk about why he has the greatest calling. Jesus has a greater calling, and that's what we're talking about today. And if you're going to consider that, you have to ask yourselves a couple of questions. One is, what is the calling of Jesus? And then, why is it the greatest? And the calling of Jesus is this. It's found in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Amazingly enough, the, the, the calling is the greatest because of the nature of the calling. He doesn't call us to a religion, but to a relationship. He doesn't call us to a philosophy, but to a person. He calls us to himself. This is one of the most amazing callings in all of human history. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. It's a great calling because it's a unique calling that he says this rest is found in him. And it's a great calling because he's the only one who can give us uh, rest. He's the only one that can give us relief. And uh, we all need relief. We need rest. We need rest from fighting and terrorism, from, from news reports about Israel and Hamas and what's going on in the Middle East and what's going on in Ukraine, riots in our streets because of uh, political infighting among our people, uh, shootings in Maine, uh, concerns about the economy and about inflation, uh, growing anxiety and suicidal ideation among our young, our young people. Where can we turn? Whose voice should we listen to? There are many offering relief, many who think they have ideas on how we can find peace, how we can find rest. And among all of those voices is the voice of Jesus saying, come to me. And yet in America, we've heard that voice so often, we've heard the gospel so often, we are in danger of hardening our hearts towards it, of, of saying, yeah, I've heard that, but I'm going to try this. And that's what this message is about from Hebrews chapter 3, that we are in danger of having a calloused or a hard heart towards the calling of Jesus. And so we need to pay close attention to responding to His calling. As we look in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, the author warned the Hebrews uh, not to harden their hearts against the great calling of Jesus. And I believe today that we uh, can heed this warning not to harden our hearts. And as we look at the, t the text today, I think we'll see four ways we can rightly respond to the calling of Jesus. So let's dig in, chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. 
As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was, it, was He provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is God's Word. We're looking for four ways on how to rightly respond to the great calling of Jesus. Here's the first way, respond immediately. How do we rightly respond? We respond immediately. I want you to note the key word in the text today, I think, is the word today. It's in here three times. We see it at the beginning, middle, and end. The word today. Today is the day to respond to the calling of Jesus. And so take note of this. And then this uh, author of Hebrews, because he's a good uh, Jewish background preacher, he recognizes that he needs to quote the Old Testament in order to preach to them. And what we really have here is him preaching a sermon from Psalm 95. He begins by reading the text, Psalm 95. You see this in verses 8 through 11. And then he begins to tell us how to respond to the text. It's a good sermon. It's a good sermon from the preacher to Hebrews. But I would have you take note of one thing before we dig in. Uh, he begins in verse 7 by saying, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. In just a moment ago, I said, This is God's Word, and, and you said, Amen. That's our way of saying, This is what the Holy Spirit says. Uh, one of the things that you can ask... Uh, the, the Bible is what does the Bible claim for itself? This is called internal evidence. What's inside the Bible that it speaks of itself about? So does the Bible claim to be the Word of God? And here we see a very high view of Scripture from the author of Hebrews. He says that Psalm 95 that he's about to quote, it, it was the Holy Spirit speaking. So don't miss that. Don't miss that. That's kind of like what we say at the beginning of every time I preach. I say, this is God's Word, and you say, Amen. That's all of us saying in agreement that this Word is above us. It comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. You with me? So let's not miss that. And so then he begins to preach, and he says, Today, if you hear His voice, today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. There's a sense of urgency when God speaks. We're to respond immediately. God wants immediate response. One of the things that, that we teach from the Word of God when we're teaching parents how to parent their children is, is this, this statement, slow obedience is no obedience. To teach your children to obey immediately. And, and we are, as believers, we're, we're followers of Jesus, we're children of God, and we're to learn to obey immediately, to respond immediately to the call of Jesus. And this is the call that we see here. Circle the word today. It's in here three times. Verse 7, verse 13, verse 15. Today, right now, this minute, respond today. If you hear. Not everyone has ears to hear. But if you hear, respond. And if you don't respond, be aware 
of the, if you're hearing and you're not responding, be aware of what happens to your heart. Every time you tell God to wait, I'll get to it tomorrow, God. Right now I'm busy with my stuff. Every time you tell him to wait, or even worse, every time you tell him no, you're hardening your heart. Uh, the Greek word for harden here is scleruno, scleruno. It's where we get the word sclerosis, arterial sclerosis, hardening of the arteries. It comes from the Greek, scleruno. Here he says it's not hardening of the arteries, it's hardening of, hardening of the cardia in the Greek, the heart. And we're not speaking of this heart. He's not, he's not talking about medicine right now. He's talking about your spiritual center, that the heart is emblematic of the seed of the will, of who you are. And every time you tell God no, every time you tell God wait, you're hardening your heart towards God. Respond immediately is what the word requires. This is the preacher to, to the Jewish background people. He's saying, here's my text. It's Psalm 95. I'm going to preach it to you right now. Today... Today, today, don't harden your hearts. Answer Christ's call today. Answer it today. Don't put it off. Answer it today. That word harden could also be the idea of to be obstinate, to be stubborn. Uh, it also has the idea of calloused. Now, I have some pretty good calluses right now because it's the fall, and I've, I've, I've worked in the yard and I, I was building a deck in my backyard recently and so I've got some good calluses. It, it comes from the repetitive use of tools that rub up against my hand. And the first time every spring this happens to me, every spring I get out in the yard and start working, I get a couple blisters. But then I get calluses and then, then, I don't, then I don't feel it anymore. Because this is what happens, when you get a callus you lose sensitivity. You lose feeling. And every time, every time you rub over it with a tool, you get a thicker callus and you have less feeling. The same is with the spiritual heart. Every time you say, wait to God. Every time you say, I'll get to it tomorrow, Lord. Every time you say, no, I'm afraid, God, I'm afraid to do that. that I'm afraid that, that's outside my comfort zone. Another layer of callus over your spiritual heart. And you get not just a spiritual heart that's hardened, but you get hard of hearing when God calls. You get a heart that doesn't hear well when God calls anymore. He, he goes on, he's, he's, he's quoting from Psalm uh, 95. He says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's speaking of their forefathers who rebelled in the wilderness that when, whenever they came up to the promised land, they sent in the 12 spies that 10 of them came back with a negative report. Two came back with a positive report, Caleb and Joshua, but the other 10 came back and said, we were like grasshoppers and they were like giants. And the people were terrified and they began to grumble and complain, we should have never left Egypt. And they began to vote on getting a new leader. They wanted to kick Moses out and get a new leader. And God said, that's rebellion. You've provoked me. You've tested me. He goes on to say, the rebellion. On the day of testing, they, they, they put God to the test. 
We, we live in a generation today that's constantly putting God to death to the test. Let's see how far we can get. Let's see how far we can color outside the lines. And, and we test God's mercy. We test His grace. We, we, we go astray and then, then we test God for it. We blame Him for it. He says in verse 9, Your fathers put me to the test. They saw my works for 40 years. They saw the ten plagues I put on Egypt. They saw how I brought them out of slavery. They, they walked across on dry land across the Red Sea, and they saw me destroy the army of Pharaoh as the sea closed in upon them. They were fed with bread from heaven every day for 40 years. They saw water rush out of the rocks so that it fed and, 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 and gave water to all their flocks and all the people. They saw these miracles. Their shoes didn't even wear out for 40 years they didn't even have to go buy new shoes they didn't have to get their suit he kept their shoes working they saw all these things and when they pulled up to the promised land the place of rest they rebelled and, and he says I was provoked with this generation he's talking about their forefathers he's speaking to the Hebrew believers and he's trying to help them understand something about Jesus they're trying to figure out how to bring their Judaism into the new covenant and and he's reminding them hey you you need to respond now because look at how they did not respond after everything I did for them the word provoke could be translated to be grieved with to be displeased with to be disgusted with you disgust me he said. It's, it reminds me of what Jesus said to that church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. He said, you were neither hot nor cold, so I spewed you out. Literally, I vomited you out. You made me sick with your lack of commitment. I was provoked by them. And he said to him, he said, they always go astray in their heart. See, that's where it always starts. Sin always begins in the heart. And then it goes to the outward behavior. They've not known my ways. And so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They're, they're going to die in the wilderness. Wrath. That's a scary word for us. We think of man's uncontrolled anger, but that's not what this means. This is God's righteous response to man's rebellion and sin. This, this is God's holy response to sin. This word wrath could also be uh, the idea of judgment. That he, if he's going to be a holy God, he has to judge sin. He can't just let it. But because he's a loving God and a merciful God, he let it go to the limit until it tested him. It was to his limit. And so he poured out his wrath, and they died in the wilderness. This is what he begins. This is how the preacher begins. The preacher uh, to the Hebrews, he begins with, Be sure... You answer immediately this question about Jesus being the greatest. Quit putting it off. Don't be like your forefathers in the wilderness who rebelled. In the book of 2 Corinthians, we read this, For God says at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Are you putting it off? Has God called you? Maybe someone's here today and he's been calling you to faith, to believe in him, to make him your Lord and Savior. And you've been like, yeah, but I'm young and there's some stuff I still want to do. And I'm afraid if I turn my life over to 
Christ, I'll have to stop doing this or I won't be able to try that. Well, you're right. If you turn your life over to Christ, you probably won't be wanting to do that or to try this other thing. You're right about that, but, but be careful, for tomorrow is not guaranteed. Today is the day of salvation, the Scripture says. Respond immediately. Someone else is here, and you're a believer. You've responded to salvation, but you haven't responded to that recent calling He's given you. He's, he's given you instruction, and it, it, it's always out of your comfort zone. He always calls us out of our comfort zone because that's where it takes faith to walk. What's he telling you to do that you're saying no? And when you say no, every time you say no, every time you say wait, another layer of callus forms over your spiritual heart. Respond immediately. Respond today. Matthew reports that there were disciples that wanted to follow Jesus and he was saying, come follow me, come follow me. One particular disciple said this, Matthew chapter 8, Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Well, that seems kind of harsh to say to a, someone that's about to have a funeral. Some have suggested it's a strange request at any rate. Had his father already died or was he saying, um, you know, I really don't want to follow you right now because my, my dad doesn't believe in you and I don't want to face the, the disagreement with my dad, so let's wait till I bury him and then I'll follow you. Some have suggested that might have been what was going on. Others have said that he was perhaps the firstborn son and he had to follow the Jewish uh, rules of grief, which meant that he would need to spend at least one year waiting for his father who had died because they would have these tombs where there was like a bed on one side uh, carved into the stone. And then the room next door would be the place where they put the ossuary chest. These are bone boxes carved out of stone with a lid that would be about the length of a human femur. And so they would take a year for that body to decompose. And then the eldest would go in and gather them and, and have commissioned this bone box. And all these bone boxes would be in this side room facing it that would be like there's great granddad and there's great grand there's the family it's the family tomb some have suggested he was saying i'll follow you next year uh, we don't know jesus knew he knew that there was something awry something wrong with his heart he was putting off the call of jesus what about you you putting it off every time you put it off Another layer of hardness. Be careful about getting a hard heart from not immediately obeying and following the call of Jesus. Well, here's the second. Respond carefully. Respond carefully. We're just going along with the sermon that the, uh, the preacher of Hebrews is preaching. He gets to verse 12, and he gives us his second instruction here, his second way. He says, take care, brothers. Respond carefully. Take care. It's in the Greek imperative. This is a command. You better take care. And he gives you a warning. It reminds me of the warning back in chapter 2 where he says, lest you drift away. It said in, Rome, in, in Hebrews chapter 2. But here it says, unless you fall away. Lest you fall away. Take care. Because some of you, he says, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Unbelieving uh, is where we uh, get this idea of, of, of no faith, uh, not faith, unfaithful, want of faith. 
Keep an eye on your heart. Because any place you're grumbling and complaining like the Israelites did in the wilderness, you know, when we were back in Egypt, we were still in slavery, but we had vegetables. And we didn't have to eat this heavenly bread every day. You know, there was, you know, it, it wasn't so hot in the wilderness. Like, you know, one of the ways you can tell that your heart is not right, that it's, it's falling into unbelief, is when you wake up grumbling and complaining. Now, some of you did that when you got up this morning, didn't you? Oh. And, and, and you know, even if you're sitting there going, no, I didn't, your spouse is sitting there, and they're probably elbowing you right now. That's that, that feeling you're feeling in your ribs right now? Yeah, it was you. You got up complaining today. You got, oh, my goodness, I just am so tired. I, I feel like I just should stay at home today. I just... Oh, I don't know. And we grumbling and complaining is evidence of, of a heart problem, of a hardening of the heart. Here he's, he goes on, he says, it's, it's evidence of an unbelieving heart. And when you have an unbelieving heart, it, it's, it's any place that you're doubting God. Got any worry warts in the house? Got any, just like it's your habit, you worry about everything? I don't know how we're going to pay this bill. So you doubt God's provision. I don't know if I'm going to survive this. So you doubt God's sustenance, His power to heal you and keep you as long as you're supposed to be here. I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive this person. So you doubt God's power of reconciliation and forgiveness for you, not just for you, but so that you can forgive others. Any, any place that you're worried is evidence of an unbelieving heart. It's evidence of, of an evil heart that still has this mixture in it and he says be careful take care this idea of taking care means to keep your eyes on this examine your hearts take a heart say holy spirit look at me help me because there's there's danger of falling away from the living god of falling away from dependence on god and becoming dependent on other voices that say hey come over here drink this and you'll feel better Take this, you'll feel better. Try this, you'll find rest. Come over here. There's a lot of voices calling. Be careful, you'll fall away. The Greek word is apostane. Failure to stand, not standing. What does that sound like, apostane? Sounds like apostasy. That's right, that's where the word comes from, to fall away. Hey, look, you better watch your heart. You better guard your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. You better, you better get regular heart exams from God. You better take a look at what's in your heart. How do you get, how do you get these checkups, these heart checkups to help you with your heart? Psalms talks about it, Psalm 139 Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious, my worrying thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Only, you know, ask Jesus to be your heart physician. Say, Jesus, speak to me from your word today. And as you read his word, be ready that he... He's going to highlight through the Holy Spirit who speaks through His Word. 
something you need to reflect on for your heart. Oh, you're not reading the Bible regularly? You're, you're not getting regular heart checkups? We have forgetful hearts. We, we, God speaks to us today. He still calls. He speaks to us through His Word. You're not listening? The heart hardens if you're not listening. And so you speak. So, so every year I sign up people at the beginning of the year to read the Bible together. We use the one-year Bible. It gives you a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs. So you have a daily reading. We've only got two more months to go. We're almost finished, ten months in. I think this is my 20th year leading us through the one-year Bible reading. I post a daily devotional thought on Facebook every day. Uh, today, um, I was drawn to the reading of Psalms. Lamentations was the Old Testament reading, and I was like, whew, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, weeping over Jerusalem. Man, the Holy Spirit didn't really lead me there today. I was like, I wasn't feeling that one. Read the New Testament from Philemon, understood it, didn't really. Then I got to Psalms. I got to this section that said, um, this is David. He's, he was like, all these verses began with the word I. Like, like he was determining in advance how he was going to face certain things. And it was like, I've determined not to look upon anything vile or vulgar. Like he'd made a predetermination that if something was not going to be of God, if something was going to be empty and vulgar, I'm not going to look at that. And I was like, I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of highlighted that one for me. And so I'll comment on that one today. Because even though I'm 65 years old and I'm a pastor, the world just is throwing so many images at us all the time. And if you're a man, know this women about your man. Uh, we're very visually driven, and, and things that come in through the eye gate can really twist a man. It can do it the same to a woman, but men are particularly vulnerable to things like pornography. So I was talking about my one-year Bible devotion, and I put it on Facebook, but I also put it on, I was going to say I also put it on Twitter, but I put it on X. <laughs> I put it on X, and I'm starting to think I need to X out X. Because there's this new thing happening to me um, that's so evil. And that is I'll post Scripture daily. And there's now people commenting on it. And, and I'll check on it because they, they say they're following me. And I'm just this naive kind of guy. I'll click on who's following me and it'll be porn. And I'm like, whoa! Like, Lord, I have told you. I am not going to look at this. I've determined, I've predetermined in my heart that I will not look at anything vile or vulgar because I don't want it to affect my heart. Like, help me, Lord, can I not even post Scripture without the evil one jumping that? I'm going to have to X out of X if this keeps up. I'm going, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I'm trying to put Scripture out there for people that might be far from God to be brought near and the evil one's out there. He's mining for pastors to ruin us? Sure he is. Sure he is. I shouldn't be surprised. We have to be careful about what we focus on. We have to take care of our hearts. 
You have, you have several indicators in your dash. If you're driving a car, you have a speedometer, an odometer, an oil uh, meter. You, you, you have a, a temperature gauge. You have these gauges. And if you ignore them and just drive down the road, you'll find yourself eventually on the side of the road. Perhaps with smoke coming out from under the hood. Or, or a police officer standing next to you with a, you know, writing you out a ticket because you forgot to notice the speedometer. But if you ignore the warnings in the dash, you'll find yourself on the side of the road. And if you ignore your heart condition, if you don't take care, keep an eye on, you'll find yourself falling away from that heart condition that you had when you first began of loving Jesus, following Jesus with all your heart. You have to maintain your heart. You have to take care. And then he gets to verse 13, which leads us to our third way that we rightly respond. That's to respond continually. Respond continually. Respond immediately. Respond carefully. Verse 13, we, we encounter another Greek imperative, exhort one another. It's in the, it's in, it's in the command voice. Exhort, encourage would be a synonym. Encourage, comfort, challenge, admonish, call to one side, uh, but exhort one another every day. And so that's continually. And so there's this, remember we were talking earlier about how we have forgetful hearts. And so we gather together on the first day of the week. The first day of the week is the day that Jesus was, was raised from the grave. And that's why, we, that's why we gather on the first day of the week. But, but we gather to worship Him, but we also gather to exhort one another. Because we have forgetful hearts. And there are other voices calling us all the time. So we gather like this. You're here today. And we have this rhythm of life, and we can't fall away from it because if we do, we start to wander. We start listening to the wrong voices. But we gather together. And you can't do the one another's without one another. You, you, can't, you can't exhort one another without one another. I, I already tried preaching to these empty seats in 2020. I tried that. I don't ever want to do it again. Now, one of the small groups felt sorry for me. They took life-size photos of themselves and stuck them to the chairs. And I preached to those one Sunday back in the spring of 2020. It wasn't the same. It was funny, but it wasn't the same. I need to see you. I need to talk to you. I need to be embraced and shake hands. and I need to cry with you. I need to sing with you. I need to laugh with you. I can't do the one another commands. I can't be exhorted by you and you be exhorted by me without you. And we need to do it continually because we have forgetful hearts. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. So what's today called? Today. Every day is called today once you get to it. Continually. Respond continually because the Lord is speaking. That none of you, verse 13, may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, sin calls, it tempts, it calls, but it's deceitful. It, it, it makes claims for itself that are untrue. 
It says, come over here. Come over here. This will make you feel better. Try this. And Eve did, and Adam and Eve, look, it's, it looks good to the eyes. It, it tastes good. And you'll be like God. Take a bite. This is the deceitfulness of sin. It always overpromises. And it looks good, and the first bite tastes good, but it leads us to death. And there are voices calling all the time. Come over here. Try this. But when we gather together, one of you goes, hey, look, don't even go over there, because I did one time, and I almost died over there. Sometimes that makes us want to go over there all the more. Like, what was it like? But no, it's deceitful. It's deceitful. It lies to us. So we encourage one another. We exhort one another. For we have come, verse 14, to share in Christ. When we come together, Christ is present in this place. And something wonderful happens as we gather under the preaching of God's Word and the singing together of God's Word. Something wonderful, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in the present tense, not just from the ancient Word of God, but from the present incarnational Word of God living out through us in this very moment. So that we're exhorted, we're encouraged, and we're, we're built up. It's happening right now. Are you listening? Do you hear it? Is your heart open? We respond continually. It says in Colossians chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it just overflow. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Respond continually. Following Jesus is the greatest adventure on planet earth. Following Him, He speaks to us. He guides us. And he only gets quiet when we harden our hearts by saying no or wait. And then he gets quiet. And he waits. He waits until we say yes. We need each other to remind each other and to warn each other about the deceitfulness of sin, those other voices. And then finally, the fourth way that the preacher helps us to see the great calling, to respond to the great calling of Jesus, is he tells us to respond obediently. Respond immediately, respond carefully, continually, obediently. We're down into verse 15, and he decides, let, let's take a look at that psalm again. He's a good preacher. Let's go back and look at the word one more time, he says. I want to underline that word today with you one more time, but this time I want to pull out that part about rebellion. Earlier it was like, I want to hit today really hard, but now he wants to hit rebellion really hard. Today if you hear his voice, verse 15, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then he says, verse 16, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Who were they? And he gets us all the way down. He works through five kind of rhetorical questions to bring us to the answer. And he says in verse 18, it was those who were disobedient. That, that, that's who rebelled. Those who were disobedient. And then he gives it a certain kind of disobedience. He says it's the disobedience of unbelief. Verse 19. Isn't that interesting? 
He, he puts obedience and belief as being intimately connected. So that saving faith is obedient faith. And there's a kind of faith that's not saving faith. It, it's just, it's kind of like you went to a buffet and you got a little of this and a little of that and you've kind of put together your own religion. It's like a form of godliness without the power of life change. It's like, it's like the idea that here we are, we, this, this used to be called the Bible Belt. I don't know if we could still say there's anything that's a Bible Belt anymore. Life is changing in our culture. But the danger of living in the Bible Belt is people grew up going to church and they got a form of godliness. They got what I call churchianity instead of Christianity. I mean, you can go stand in the garage, but that doesn't make you an automobile. You, you can sit in a church pew, and that doesn't make you a Christian. And so they, they it, it, in, in churchianity, churchianity, it's like a disease, or it's like, a, it's like an inoculation. It's like it inoculates you against the real thing, because you think you're saved, you think you have faith, but you don't. Because you don't have obedient faith. It's like you're a, a Christian atheist. You claim to be a Christian, but you live like God doesn't exist every day of your life. Because you, because you, you have the, the worst sin of all, the worst sin of all, the unforgivable sin is the sin of unbelief, of rejecting the call of Jesus. Because He's died for our sins, He's paid for every sin. If you don't accept it, then you'll not enter His peace, you'll not enter His rest. Verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Do not harden. This is his concern here, like they did in the rebellion. These, all these who-whoms here in verse 15 through 19, these five questions. Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Wasn't it the ones who saw the ten plagues, the ones who saw the parting of the Red Sea, the ones who were fed by heavenly manna, the ones who saw water rush forth from the rock? Wasn't it that group? The ones who saw all the blessings of God? Wasn't they the ones who didn't believe in spite of all the evidence? And with whom was he provoked? Who were the ones who provoked him for 40 years? Was it not those who died in the wilderness because they had sinned against God and had not believed? Wasn't it those? Wasn't it the disobedient? There's someone here this morning that you have a form of religion. You have a form. You've been... You know, it's like, like Jesus is your add-on. Like, I need Him when I'm in trouble. And, and so we pray like this. We get up in the morning and go, I got, I got this meeting. I got to pay this bill. I got to go do this. I got to pick up the kids. Hey, Jesus, would you come along with me and, and help me do my stuff? And we pray like that. Rather than saying, Jesus, thank you for another day. Thank you that I'm alive today, and, and, and there must be a purpose for me today. Would you tell me what you want me to see, what you want me to hear, what you want me to do today? As I encounter every portion of today, um, help me to have ears to hear those who, who need you. Help me to have hands that are ready to help. Help me to have the strength, and help me to be patient with my family. And Lord Jesus, help me to be you today. Live in me in such a real fashion today so that I live like you 
That's obedient faith. That's faith that says he's the Lord and I'm not. He's God and I'm not. Not come join me. How can I join you on what you're doing today, Jesus? James talks about the importance of the kind of faith that results in obedience. He says in James 2.20, Wilt thou, uh, O vain man, that faith, don't you know that faith without works is dead? Then Jesus talks about it. He equates obedience and, and belief. He says in John chapter 3, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Notice how he's equating. He, he, he uses the word believe and obey in a synonymous fashion. But the wrath of God remains on him. When you hear the call, it's not enough to hear the call. You have to obey the call and say yes to Jesus. That's saving faith. There has to be a moment in your life as you've heard it, that's intellect. You know the facts about Jesus. He died on the cross. He was raised on the third day. He lives today. He's, he, he wants you to come and follow Him for forgiveness. That's intellectual. Then there's the emotional aspect of the heart. We have the intellectual aspect, but the emotional, that you feel something. Everybody has a different way of feeling, but you feel something. The Holy Spirit moving, urging you. But it's still not saving faith until as an act of the will. The heart is the seat of the will. And you say, yes to Jesus. Yes, I believe you're my Lord and Savior. I give my life to you. I surrender my will to you. I give you my life. I, I want to arrange every aspect of my life around following you. This is saving faith. This is obedient faith. There's a movement today among young folk. It's called deconstructing your faith. Have you heard of this? Young people in their 20s and 30s, even into their 40s. They probably were brought up in the church. And they believed because their parents told them to. They were probably part of a youth group. Most of them were. But now they're deconstructing their faith. They're taking it apart. They're becoming skeptics, trying to find a new way of thinking. Read, I read a recent article that talked about four possible reason, reasons for this trend. One is church hurt. They were hurt by the church. And so they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. The church hurt me. It's connected to Jesus, so I'm throwing out Jesus too. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you're here and somebody convinced you to show up. You were hurt by a previous church. You're looking for a perfect church. This ain't it. You won't find one. And if you do, don't join it because you'll mess it up. No, there's no perfect church. And if you think the church won't hurt you, it will because hurt people hurt people. You know? It has to be about the call of Jesus. It can't be because you're looking for perfection in other people. But that's one reason some people are deconstructing their faith. They've been hurt. Here's another reason, poor teaching. They grew up with poor teaching. And so as soon as Satan came along and said, did God really say? They went, I don't know. Maybe he didn't. And so they didn't have firm biblical teaching. And so when the evil one tempts them, they have no foundation. That's another reason for deconstruction. Here's a third reason they give, desire to sin. They've already fallen into the deceitfulness of sin, 
And rather than repenting and admitting it, it's just easier to deconstruct their faith and identify themselves with their new sin. It's just easier. Come up with a new version. Deconstruct it and come up with your own buffet of what it means to be a Christian. Here's the fourth reason they give street cred. It's just hip. It's cool to be a skeptic. It's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's, the, it's the cultural ethos of our day to just question everything. And that's why so many deconversion stories are similar. It's like they're reading from the same script. It's just hip to be a skeptic. What about you? Do you have saving faith, obedient faith? Are you suffering from a hardened heart from saying no to the call of Jesus? Or would you answer His call today? Would you decide today's the day, from now on, I'm always going, help me, help me to always have a sensitive heart that says yes to you. I like finishing with hymns if I can. Uh, I'm an old guy, so I always remember whole old hymns. When I was preparing the sermon, I, um, I had a hymn in my head. It was written by Will Thompson in 1880. I, I love this hymn. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals He's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye that are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling Calling, O sinner, come home. Will you answer? Will you respond? Let's pray. You're calling, Jesus. You're always calling. Behold, I stand at the at the door and knock. You're always knocking. I wonder if there's anyone this morning that would say yes and open the door. Anyone that would say, I'm here, Lord, speak. Is it you? I'm praying for you right now. Pray with me, dear Lord Jesus, I hear you. And I accept you today, today. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross and that you were raised from the grave and that you live today. I hear you calling, come into my life. I want to come home. I want to come home to you. Come into my life. Forgive me my sin and make me the person you want me to be. I want to be a child of God and follow you all the days of my life. Answer the call. He's talking. He's speaking. He's inviting Others are here today and you know Him, you've said yes to Him, but you've been saying no to Him lately. He's told you to do something that's outside your comfort zone. He told you to forgive somebody that you can't forgive. You keep telling yourself, I can't forgive them. He's told you to try something that you're afraid to do. He's told you to quit something that you're afraid to quit. He's calling. He's always calling.
Right now, right now, you know what it is. The Holy Spirit's speaking to us. Lord, here I am. Speak. My yes is on the table. In Jesus' name, amen.